Glory to God. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Good to see you. We're in Nehemiah. Go figure. Chapter 5. I know I told you 5 and 6, and you probably read ahead. That's okay. But uh, we'll deal with chapter 5 today, and uh, 6 and 7 next week, 8 and 9, then 10, then 11 and 12, and then 13. All right? It's going to be a good time. So today is chapter 5. You turn to Nehemiah chapter 5 with me, I would appreciate that. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one out of the pew rack in front of you and follow along. There's plenty of those there. So we are continuing our series in the book of Nehemiah. Um, the series is Nehemiah, a determined servant. And uh, the challenge for you and I has been that we would look at Nehemiah and become more and more like him in his example that he sets uh, in being more like uh, God and more like ultimately the son, Jesus Christ, that we would be conformed in the image of Jesus Christ and uh, look more and more like him. And Nehemiah's story started out uh, in, in Susa, the capital city in, in Persia, where where he was a cupbearer to the king. And he was part of the exile or the remnant that was there. Um, he, he, was never, he wasn't born in Jerusalem. He wasn't born in Judah. He was born in Persia because uh, there was a time when God brought judgment to Israel. The, the kingdom divided. And then conquerors, Babylonians, came in and, and, took, and destroyed things, destroyed Jerusalem, and took uh, the people and, and enslaved them or, or let them wander and just be exiles, remnants, uh, scattered all about the region. So there was no, no place to call home, but uh, Nehemiah grew up in Persia and was fortunate enough. We'd say, some people would say lucky, but I think luck had nothing to do with it, to become the cupbearer to the king, amen? That God had providentially put him in the life of King Artaxerxes and uh, a faithful, determined servant uh, he would then be uh, for the king and for his father, the king of kings and lord of lords. So we see uh, Nehemiah who, who learns and, and continues to learn that although some of the remnant had gone back and they had been allowed to go back to Jerusalem, uh, they are still living like they are scattered and a remnant. They have uh, shanties. There's nothing rebuilt. Uh, construction has stopped. Enemies are all around them. And, and he weeps. He has a heart because he sees out in compassion. He sees the distress. And ultimately what he sees is this. He, he knows and understands that, that God, Yahweh God, is going to provide the Messiah through God's people and God's land, that out of Judah will rise the, the, the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. And ultimately, he knows that God, God's holy city is Jerusalem. And if God's holy city, Jerusalem, is in, is in shambles, then he's not being exalted and lifted up. And the progress of the gospel going forward cannot be made. And Nehemiah's heart breaks over that. And the very first sermon we talked about in, in chapters one or chapter one, I said, what, what breaks your heart? And is that something that breaks God's heart? Because that's where we want to align our priorities, right? We want to park ourselves in the place and in the things and the priorities where we know those are the things that break God's heart. And I'm going to weep over the things that break God's heart, and I'm going to celebrate over the things that bring joy and uh, to, to, in honor to God. Amen? So as we move forward, we've seen the opposition arise. Like he asks the king, he says, here's what's on my heart. And he's planned, and he, he was diligent, and, he, and the king was favorable said okay yeah go I'll send you with soldiers and supplies and letters and whatever you need to get this construction underway I can see it's on your heart to do that and he sends them out and, and when he arrives he rallies the people and gets them together and they start to rebuild and opposition then arises opposition comes around from from every angle and even from within some Jews or some of the brethren complain that they're going to kill us we we, we have we should stop this, right? And sometimes we don't think about and look forward to that greater, the greater things to come and what God is going to do. Uh, we, we are too stuck right here being comfortable and, or, or we want to be 
more comfortable than we are. So this, this hurts, this harms us. Let's just go back to how we were living. And, and we see that throughout all of history, uh, throughout God's people. They, they see God do an amazing, amazing thing and, and get him right on, the, right on the edge of the precipice to, to, to take that leap of faith and to take that step into the promised land, right? They say, oh, but this is a little uncomfortable. Let's just go back to what we were doing. Even to say that the Israelites, as they came out of Egypt, what did they say? Just send us back to Pharaoh. Let's, let's just be slaves for Pharaoh again. Really? Is that what you, what you want? Is that what God's glory is about? Is that how small your God has become? So today, as we look into chapter 5, we saw opposition arise last week, and we saw his strategy of making progress and going forward even despite opposition. And now what we see is, is a servant's compassion in chapter 5. And, and I wanted to really consolidate this to, to chapter 5 for a couple reasons. One, it's pretty deep content, and it's pretty specific content. This, this chapter is the chapter all about the giving, right? About giving and being compassionate and, and taking the money you have and saying, this isn't really mine, this is God's, and saying, I'm going to use it to advance the kingdom. And none of us like that chapter, right? None of us like to hear, oh, I'm not really doing great with my finances. I'm not really doing great giving to the kingdom of God and to the advancement of the gospel. I don't want to feel a conviction of that, right? It's no wonder we didn't send a notice out, right, to people saying this is what we're t- teaching today because we wouldn't have wanted to come. It's a tough chapter sometimes. And so for some of us, you're in the place where, hey, this is easy. Everything I have is God's, and I just keep giving and giving and giving. I don't care what I live, what, I, what it looks like, what I live like. Uh, I'm going give, to give and give and give because it's all his anyway, and you're excited about this message. The other reason is this, that today we get to, be, uh, to have a pastoral search committee update. So at the end of the service, we'll, we'll pray and sit down and let them come and update us about the progress they're making there as well, okay? So today, let's dive in here to the text. We're going to look at the determined servant and, uh, and looking at his compassion, Nehemiah's compassion, and how you and I can relate to that. We're in chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 1, but we will pray first. All right? Let's pray. Father, as we look into Nehemiah and the truth of your word, it's not just a book or a story of some guy. This is facts. This is history. This is your inspired word to us. And God, there is an example in the text. There's an example that we can, we can look and learn from, from those who went before and we can experience where we need to go today. So God, I pray you would open our hearts and our minds to be receptive to your word, that you would allow us to see what we need to change in our own lives, God, how you're challenging us to change and, and that we would be convicted and convinced to do so. We want to be your people. And when people look at us from the outside, they would see something different than what they see everywhere else. They would see a people who who wants to honor and give glory to you while we serve one another and others in the advancement of the gospel. And we thank you for that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're looking at a servant's compassion. First thing about a servant's compassion, number one, is that it sees and acknowledges the need. If we want to be more compassionate people, we have to have those mind and eyes that are open. That was one of the points in the first sermon, that, that Nehemiah was constantly looking out What's going on around me? How is the advancement of the gospel progressing? And for you and I, if we want to be compassionate servants, it's not just looking out and seeing how is the advancement of the gospel progressing and how can I partner with that. It's what, what are the needs in front of me, both in my brethren and in the community that I live and, and, and in my, my family, right? We talked about that. We've been talking about that every week, that if we're to be determined servants, we're to check that in three areas. I think it's, it's universal in every sermon, every book of the Bible, every word that we would we would excel in these areas of example in our families. We would excel in our, in our church community, right? Our church, in the body, and, and finally in our community, 
the place that we live and reside, the place that God has divinely placed us. It's not an accident that you and I were born where we were born or live where we live. God knows all about that. And that we would be the example, be a determined servant in those areas. But as, as Nehemiah, we approach this text today, a compassionate servant doesn't just see what's going on. They see the needs that are present. They're aware of the needs. They're looking out for those needs. That is, that's what the body of Christ is to do. You and I are to scope each other out for the purpose of, of analyzing what are the needs among us? How can I benefit another person or another family? How can I, how can I support and encourage them? Whether that's in prayer or, or you, know, you have a dresser and they need a dresser, right? Or you have a truck and they need a truck bed, right? Or, or you have $100 and they need $100. Wh- whatever it might be, we look and say, what is the need around us? And we should be analyzing the community too. What, how can we serve? How can we make this better than we found it? And how can we make it look like and, and see and reflect the image and glory of God? See, it's not just our footprint or our fingerprint that we want to place on things. It's, it's almighty God's. That we would be people who, who lift up Jesus and lift up God Almighty so that people would see him and be drawn to him. By our love for one another, they will know that we are his disciples. A servant's compassion sees and acknowledges the need. So let's see what the need is. Verses 1 through 5. Let's read that together in chapter 5. There was a widespread outcry from the people and their wives against the Jewish countrymen. Some were saying, we, our sons and our daughters, are numerous. Uh, Let us get grain so we can eat and live. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, vineyards, and homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we have borrowed money to pay the king's tax on our field and vineyards. We and our children are just like our countrymen and their children, yet they are subjecting our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters are, are, are already enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and vineyards belong to others. There was a need that arose. See, people had, had come alongside Nehemiah and said, yes, we are going to be about the business of rebuilding Jerusalem. We want this city to be God's holy city. And they, they recklessly abandoned, just like the fishermen on the side, of the side of the Sea of Galilee did with Jesus, right? Come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Okay, I'm dropping my nets, I'm dropping my money, I'm dropping my fish back in the ocean and the sea, let's go. Right? This is what they're doing. It's a reckless abandon. Let's go to the wall. Let's, let's fix this gate and fix this section of wall. They went there purposely about the kingdom of God, knowing that they're honoring God and God will provide. But the way God provides is through his people often. And, and what had happened here, you had, you had a, the Jewish people before the time of exile who had, who had embraced a set of rules and traditions found in Scripture in, in, in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. We see a set of standards that's put out. And they embraced these standards. And as they went into exile, they moved to a place that, that was, they were remnants. They started to lose sight of some of that culture and some of that heritage and some of those commands of God. And when they came back to Jerusalem, the countrymen were back there. They, okay, now we're a group again. We're a community again. This is what we're about. But they still had lost sight of some of the principles of, of God there. And, and they were taking advantage of each other. The rich who, ha- who had a lot were, yeah, they were lending to their, their brothers and sisters and charging them ex- extreme interest or putting liens against their property and their, even their family because that was customary in that time and in that region and that area. It was not customary among God's people. They were taking advantage of people for their own profit, for their own gain. So we need to look out and see what is, what is the need. There's a need here. 
The, the workers were working very hard and diligently on, uh, on the wall, but there was no time to work in their fields. And some of them, even by mortgaging out their property, what they probably were doing was hiring someone or saying, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you work the field. You, you harvest the crop and you sell it in, in, the, in the villages and we want a share of that so we can at least eat, right? You, you can get the profit from it this year because we're working on the wall. Why don't you do that? But, but they were taking advantage of that, maybe even not providing the grain and, and taking their, their family as slaves to work in those fields as well. I said earlier, they were borrowing to pay bills from the brethren, right? And this is, this is not okay. Uh, in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, we see the law says, yes, you can loan to, to a brethren, a brother, right? And we're talking about brothers and sisters here. We are part of the family of God. The rules didn't apply when we did business with foreigners. If they wanted a loan from us, we could charge them interest and, and do business. But when we talked about the family of God, there are two basic rules of loaning. One was if they were destitute, the loan wasn't a loan. It was a gift. No, you don't have to pay that back. You're in hard times. This is from God. God did this for you. Or if they weren't destitute and could maybe make payments on it, they could do that. They could pay it back in time and over time with no interest. You didn't charge interest to your brethren. We looked out at com- with compassion to one another. There was no interest there. They were trying to lord it over. They were trying to squeeze every last ounce of money out of them or, out of, or property out of them. And in this time, property was at this premium. Like, like, let's buy it up. People are in need and desperate. Let's continue to buy and buy and buy and buy. And, and let's be more about realty than about the brethren and about lifting up the name of God. And see, it happens today in our world too. We can either look out with compassion and say, there's a need and we're going to meet a need. Or we can look out and say, wow, there's needy people. I'm going to take advantage of that situation. And, and I'm going to squeeze them for a little more. I'm going to make them pay. It, like, it's like we become or they became loan sharks. And there was no end in sight. They said, we, we mortgaged our land and they have our sons and daughters, so there's nothing to buy our sons and daughters back. There's no end in sight. What, what are we going to do? Nehemiah, what's, what are we going to do? Culture had shifted into greed instead of meeting the need. So a servant's compassion sees a need, acknowledges there's a need. Number two, a servant's compassion then stirs and moves the heart into action. We can't sit by and only watch and acknowledge. We must let God stir in our hearts and move us into action. Let's look at 6 through 13. Let's see what happens here. Nehemiah says this, I became extremely angry when I heard their outcry and these, com- uh, these complaints. Here we go. Nehemiah is getting mad again, right? Nehemiah has this righteous indignation like, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is against God, this is not what God wants, and he's angry. And, and it may even have been an excessive anger there because look what he says next in verse 7. After seriously considering the matter, I accused the noble. So he's, he, I got angry, and then what did he do? He thought about it. He prayed about it. He, he went into, in, in some translations say, his own counsel. He thought to himself. He looked inside himself. You know, we can be influenced, and, and there's a great influence that we should have over one another in, in, in one another's lives. Right? We should be influential in each other's lives, providing uh, encouragement and wisdom and support. But there is a huge influence from the world and from culture, and in this case, from a culture that they had brought in back into the family of God, that Nehemiah got angry, and what he had to do is not even ask wisdom or questions of other people. He had to go to a place that, that was free of the influence of other people, and he had to be by himself with God, asking for the conviction of the Holy Spirit, right? Letting God guide his heart into action, 
And we can get counsel from other people. But ultimately, that counsel should be put into our heart and our mind and then let God sort it out and let God create the wisdom and let God create action and conviction. You and I should not live just to serve and please other people. We should live to serve and please God. And there are times in our life where we do things based on the conviction we have by God's spirit in our lives and people say, what are you doing? This looks ridiculous. You're being stupid here. And you know what we have to do? We have to look stupid. Because what we're really doing is honoring God and being true to the conviction he has given us. Sometimes obedience doesn't make sense to other people. But God will stir in our heart and, our, and move our hearts into action. Going on, it says, After I had seriously considered this matter, I accused the nobles and officials, saying to them, Each of you is charging his countrymen interest. See, he's appealing to their knowledge of Scripture, Right? You know better than this. So I called a large assembly against them, customary. And he said, we have done our best to buy back our countrymen who were sold to foreigners. So we've done our best to bring our family back together, to be family, to be the people of God. But now you sell your own countrymen and we have to buy them back again. They remained silent and could not say a word. Uh, yeah, yep. That's, you're right, that's what we're doing. Then I said, what you are doing isn't right. You should walk in the fear of our God and not invite reproach of foreign enemies. Even I, as well as my brothers and my servants, have been lending them money and grain. Please let us stop charging this interest. See, Nehemiah understood that he was even a part of this. You see that? We think that Nehemiah is a superhero, right? And he's, It's a great story, but listen, even the best of us, can get caught up doing what isn't honoring to God. And what did Nehemiah do as God moved and stirred in his heart? He said, let's, let's stop this. Let's repent and, and do something different. We're going to move into, a, into action, and that action is going to be based on the conviction of the Holy Spirit inside of us. Verse 11, return their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and homes to them immediately, along with the percentage of money, grain, new wine, and, uh, and olive oil that you have been assessing them. So you give them all that stuff back and the interest that you've charged them. Give it back. This is, this is not how we treat brothers. This is how we treat brothers. They responded in verse 12, we will return these things and, and require nothing more from them. We will do as you say. So I summoned the priest and made everyone take an oath to do this. And I also shook the folds of my robe and said, this is the custom, right? May God likewise shake from his house uh, the property everyone, uh, property everyone who doesn't keep this promise. May he be shaken out and have nothing. And the whole assembly said, Amen. And they praised the Lord, and the people did as they had promised them. So a couple observations here as we look, uh, as we're stirred and motivated to action, I think there's a couple questions we should ask ourselves. One we see here is, what's the wise and right thing to do? What, what are the things we should do? We know better, and we ought to be behaving a certain way. What's the wise and right thing to do? Uh, looking to God within us, free from outside influence. We talked about that a minute ago, and letting God convict us. Next question we could ask is, what will, uh, what will stand in line with God? What action will stand in line with God and his word and his fame? You see, it, it said, let's not bring reproach from the foreigners. Basically, what he was saying is, what we're doing causes the foreigners, the outsiders, the unbeliever, to look at us and say, see, they're no different. They're the same as we are. 
What, what is it going to take for you and I to stand where God wants us to stand and look different than the world? And that's what we need to choose. What does God's word tell us to do? And what would be about lifting up his fame? And then the next question, what needs to change in how I live? What needs to change in how I live? And I think what this is, there's a perspective change, a shift in the way we view things and the way we think about things. My perspective about what pleases God needs to be in view and needs to be fortified. I want you to turn, keep your finger here, but turn to uh, the book of Jeremiah. It's, it's to the right of uh, Nehemiah. You find Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, then Song of Solomon, then we see Isaiah, and then Jeremiah. And turn to Jeremiah chapter 22 with me. <clears throat> I want to give you this perspective. This is Jeremiah is prophesying against kings and what they're doing. And, and in this prophecy, it, it, shows, it shows what does that king or ruler or leader do and what happens to that leader who lords it over the people, who uses his wealth for something he shouldn't, who doesn't have a right perspective. So Jeremiah chapter 22, we're beginning in verse 13, and we'll read through 19 together. It says, Woe for the one who builds his palace through unrighteousness, his upper rooms through injustice, who makes his fellow man serve without pay and will not give him his wages, who says, I will build myself a massive palace with spacious upper rooms. He will cut windows in it, and it will be paneled with cedar and painted with vermilion. Are you a king because you excel in cedar? Your own father, did he not eat and drink? He administered justice and righteousness. Then it went well with him. He took up the case of the poor and needy, and then it went well. Is this not what it means to know me? This is the Lord's declaration. But you have eyes, but you have eyes and heart for nothing except your own unjust gain, shedding innocent blood and committing extortion and oppression. Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah. They will not mourn for him, saying, Woe, my brother, or woe, my sister. They will not mourn for him, saying, Woe, Lord, or woe, his majesty. He will be buried like a donkey, dragged off and thrown outside the gates of Jerusalem. This is a perspective change, right? We have to understand what the heart is here. He rebuked Jehoiakim, and, and he said, you're not being like your father. Your father still ate and drank and was merry. He still was the king. He still had stuff of value. But, but what was it about his father? He took up the case of the poor and needy, and it went well with him. Is this not what it, what it, is, what it means to know me? See, he, he challenged said, what, what it means to really know me is to have a heart of compassion that's ready to serve other people, that puts others' needs above my own. My attitude should be the same of, as that of Christ Jesus, right? who humbled himself and gave himself for you and I. Our God is a humble, just God, but humble God who is looking out for the, to meet the needs of others. So what needs to change? It's my perspective about what pleases God. We must behave in a way that says, we know and revere and fear God Almighty so that people would see him and not us. The final question in this section is this. How can I make a commitment? You, all, they, he had all the priests come in, and they all, they all vowed and said, yes, we're going to do that. Yes, we make a commitment to one another. It was this, this covenant they made with one another. How, how do you make a commitment? You do it. You, just, you, you act out on what God is telling you to do. 
You say, yes, we're going to do it. Whatever it costs, we're going to do it. It may not make sense to the world, but we're going to do it because it makes sense to God and it pleases God. Take the steps to make the change. It is a response to knowing God. It is our response to knowing God. And I want us to understand this, this idea of respond. Every, every week we give a response time at the end of the service where we can come forward for prayer or we can pray where we're at or we sing and belt it out to Jesus to lift up his name because he's so great. We always give an opportunity to respond. We give an opportunity to respond when we, when we pass the offering plate around. We're not receiving the offering. We're not taking a collection. We're making an opportunity where we, the family of God, can give to the work of the gospel and advance of the gospel. This is about worship. Folks, it's about worship of God, and it's about a response to God. And what, is, what are we responding to? Well, you and I are responding because we have looked back at the cross and seen what Christ has done. Nehemiah was looking forward to what God was going to do through the Messiah. We get the chance to look back at what he has done and what he continues to do in and through us. Our lives should be a response to the good news of Jesus Christ. And that good news is this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were, we were dead in our trespasses, our sins, while we were considered unrighteous and filthy rags, Christ said, let me take care of that. Let me put my righteousness, my goodness, my holiness, my perfection on you. Let me forgive you and wipe you clean that, that although your sins were as scarlet, they may be white as snow. And that when we come to that place, you and I are united under the banner of Christ, under the victory of Christ through his death and resurrection. And that our lives are then a response to him. Everything about our lives. How can I make a commitment? Daily respond to him. Daily respond to the gospel of who he is and what he's done. Going on. A servant's compassion, number three sets the example a servant's compassion sets the example now we've already seen that nehemiah said we you and i ought to stop doing this he's already saying i was wrong let's i'm going to repent let's change this let's look at the next passage here uh, we're looking at 14 through 19 14 through 18 sorry uh, it says furthermore from the day king artaxerxes appointed me to be their governor in the land of judah from the 20th year until the 32nd year 12 years I and my associates never ate from the food allotted to the governor. The governors who preceded me uh, and, and, sorry, the governors who have preceded me and heavily burdened the people, taking food and wine from them, as well as a pound of silver. Their subordinates also oppressed the people. But I didn't do this because of the fear I had of God, right? Out of response of God, of honoring God, revering God. 16, instead, I devoted myself to the construction of the wall and all my subordinates were gathered there for the work. We didn't buy any land. There was opportunity. I said that there's opportunity to buy land and to start making some money in Jerusalem and Judah. They didn't. They said, this is not what we're about. Nehemiah was focused on the prize, right? He had his eyes on the prize. He knew there was a goal, and it was the advancement of the kingdom of God, and that's what he was about. And he was going to do everything necessary, everything in his power to not counteract that. He didn't want to lord it over the people. He didn't want to charge the people interest, right? He didn't want to uh, charge the people extra taxes to pay for the allotment of food. He didn't want to do that. They're already being taxed, and they could barely pay that tax. He wanted to make it as easy as possible for the people to continue in the work. And here's how he did it. Look at verse 17. There were 150 Jews and officials as well as guests from the surrounding nations at my table. He had a huge staff. 
He had a lot of people he was, he was providing for, a lot of people that he was taking care of. Each day, one ox, six, six choice sheep, and some fowl were prepared for me. An abundance of all kinds of wine was provided every 10 days, but I didn't demand the food allotted to the governor because the burden on the people was so heavy. What, here's what he was saying. It's, you got to kind of track here. He had, he had the ability to tax the people so that the governor's allotment would pay for those staff members, would take care of the food and provision for those staff members. What he's saying is this. I did it out of my own pocket. I took care of the need without putting a heavy burden on the people. I took care of that need. I provided. I was generous to them because the burden on the people was so heavy. Nehemiah was using his money to pay and provide for his staff. He devoted himself. He was about the devotion and the dedication and the advancement of the good news of the glory of God and of the Messiah to come. That's what he was about. It's about the work and advancing the kingdom of God for you and I. Are we aligned with that? Are we responding to that? Finally, number four, a compassionate servant <clears throat> seeks the greater reward. A compassionate servant seeks the greater reward. Let's look at Nehemiah 5.19, the final verse in this chapter. A prayer from Nehemiah. Remember me favorably, my God, for all that I have done for this people. Remember me favorably. You see, Nehemiah was not about, God, make me rich. God, make me an esteem me in a high position that people would look up to me. They would come to me and they would, they would bow down to me. Put me on top of everything else. That's not what Nehemiah said. Nehemiah said, remember me favorably, my God, for I have done this for these people. God, remember that I have honored you and not taken advantage of people. I have honored you and, and sought to seek and serve others around me. It's, it's in your notes on the side. Proverbs 14.31 says this, The one who oppresses the poor person insults his maker, but the one who is kind to the needy honors him. See, you and I need to be about honoring our maker, not insulting our maker. Amen? That we would honor him and bring honor to him by serving the needs of those around us whenever we are possible to do that, whenever it's possible for us to do that. The attitude we should have is that we'd rather be least in God's kingdom than be greatest in ours. I'd rather be least in God's kingdom than be greatest in ours. With that, I want to just, just finish this up with some practical principles from scripture about stewardship we aren't going to turn to the references you can study some of this on your own this isn't a huge sermon about stewardship and giving but I, I think it's important for us to look there during this section if we seek the greater reward so here's some practical principles from script from scripture about stewardship first is this the earth and everything in it belongs to the lord it's all his he's asked us to steward it we are stewards of it Next, the Lord, this is interesting too, right? The Lord brings poverty and gives wealth. And that's 1 Samuel. You can check that scripture out. He brings, brings poverty and he gives wealth. Some who seek to have wealth will never have it. And some who seek to be poor will never be poor. God decides that for some of us. He can give wealth and bring, bring uh, poverty. Next, God requires that he be our master, not money. Not 
more stuff, not more money, not more wealth, so that I can buy more things and, and, and make my ego bigger. He wants to be our master. We see in lots of places in Scripture, he, well, he tells the rich young servant, that's the, the, the passage in your notes in Luke, go and sell everything you have and give to the poor. And he goes away sad. Why? Because his master was money, not God. It's not bad to be rich. It's not bad to have lots of money. It's bad to make it your master. That's what, that's what Jesus says. You can't serve both God and money. You have to choose one. Next, Scripture says it's okay to save in times of plenty, preparing for times of need and want. When I say want, it's like, not I want to have this one day. It's that I need, my family needs this. My, my extended family needs this. My community may benefit from this time of saving. And finally, we are instructed to give as the Lord prospers us, being decided from the heart, not under compulsion. A couple of things I want to mention about this. Old Testament, right? Old Testament covenant and laws and rules would say a, a lot of rules, a lot of things, a tenth. A 10% is what you gave, right? A tie, that's 10%. New Testament, new covenant rules is this, that you and I would be cheerful givers. There is no maximum to give and there is no minimum to give but that we, you and I, would be cheerful givers, giving and deciding from the heart, not under compulsion. Also, I, I hope this is present and included in this. This is speaking to, the word of God is speaking to the brethren. It's speaking to the family of God, those who have put faith and trust and belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you are a guest with us today and you are not a Christian, you are not a Christ follower, this is not your church, we do not expect assent from you. God doesn't expect a cent from you. There's no compulsion to give. There's no dues you have to pay. The bills are paid by God through God's people. Amen? It's our job. And we gladly do that out of a heart of worship. As the, as the Lord prospers. Not under compulsion, but we, we know that God loves a cheerful giver. Those are just some standards to think through. To think through when you steward and when you, when you have... Remember, it's, the question is not this. How much of my money should I give to God? It's how much of God's money should I keep? All right? Finally, if we worship money, we are sinning and need to repent and exalt Christ and not wealth. If we use money to abuse others and benefit ourselves, we are sinning and need to repent and serve Christ and serve others. If we do not view what God has given us as something he wants us to honor and, and use to advance the gospel through our lives and through our church, then we are sinning and need to repent of our selfishness and make God our God. Make God our God. Seeing to wisely steward what he's given us. Making that the priority. God is God. And you and I if we are to be compassionate servants following Christ, we will give an account to him for the way that we have stewarded and used what he gave us. We will answer for that. Compassionate servants know how to steward what God has entrusted to them for the glory of Christ, for the good of others, and for the advancement of the gospel, the good news of the Messiah. Amen? All right. Let's stand and have prayer together.
Father, we are so grateful to, to be here today. We're so grateful to be called brethren, children of the King, family. And God, as we, as we are brothers and sisters in Christ, as we are the family of God, uh, my prayer is that it's our hope and our desire to be compassionate, faithful servants with everything, with our time, with our treasure, with our talents, everything we have, we would lay it down before you. We would steward it well so we would advance your glory. We would serve others and see the gospel go forward unto the nations. Thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. Thank you for the, the wealth and the gifts and the things that you've given us to provide for our needs and our family's needs. May we, in times of plenty and provision, give generously to your cause and to your people. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we close today,